And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Matthew chapter 1, we'll begin reading two verses, verses 10 and 11. This is talking about the wise men who've journeyed about 800 miles from either Iraq or Iran. It says, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Everybody say great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Most of us know what gold is. Gold is a medium of exchange. It was like money. But frankincense and myrrh were actually made from the tree sap, from the gum resin of trees that grow in India and in parts of the Middle East. And they gave off an aromatic smell, an aromatic smell that only the very wealthy could afford. And they were very, very valuable. So they, they bring these very valuable gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about making bad decisions at Christmas time and into the new year. If you want to have a bad Christmas, if you want to have an unhappy new year, just make some bad decisions. It's not that hard. I'm glad that many in the Christmas story made some good decisions. These three wise men, they listened to the Holy Spirit and they journeyed following this star and they made a good decision to worship Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm glad that Mary, when the angel appeared to her and said, you're going to have the Christ child, and she says, how? I've never slept with a man. And the angel says, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And she said, be it unto me according to thy word. That was a good choice, a good decision. When Joseph, who was mindful of putting Mary away, I mean, Joseph knew he hadn't slept with her and he just supposed she'd been with somebody else. And the Bible says he was going to put her away. In other words, he was going to send her to some other village where nobody knew her and let her give birth to this baby and he'd get on with his life. And yet the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son and you're to call his name Jesus, which means the Savior of the world. Jesus is a Savior. They made good choices. You know, the, the shepherds made a good choice to worship the Christ child along with the angels. I think about Annas. Ananias, who came up to Jesus when he was being dedicated at the temple, and he took the Christ child in his arms and he began to prophesy over him. He made a good choice. But, you know, there are some people in the Bible that didn't make good choices. Herod, Herod was jealous of the newborn king, and Herod actually sent assassination squads, assassin squads to go and kill the baby. That was not a good choice. The innkeeper, think about that guy. He could have given God his very first night's lodging on earth, but he made a bad choice. And dear ones, 
There are four things which will block your ability to hear the voice of God and cause you to make bad decisions here at Christmas time and in the New Year's. Number one, if you want to shut out God's voice, if you want to make bad decisions at Christmas time, then simply be stubborn. Everybody say stubborn. stubborn. You know, between two farms, between two farms in Alberta, Calgary, there runs two fences that are about two feet apart, and they run for a half a mile. And people who look at those two fences ask, why are there two fences here when only one can do? Well, there are two farmers, and they had adjoining farms. One's name was Paul, and the other was Oscar, and they had a disagreement, and that disagreement erupted into a feud, and Paul wanted to build a fence between their properties, and so he went to Oscar. He says, Oscar, he says, we need to build a fence. He says, let's go in and split it in half, and Oscar says, I'm not going to have anything to do with you or your silly old fence. And so Paul paid for the surveyor to come out, and he paid for the fence to be erected, And some months pass, and Oscar came up to Paul and says, well, I see that now we have a fence. And Paul says, what do you mean we have a fence? I have a fence. I paid for it. In fact, I would have you to know that I put that fence two feet into, onto my property. So I actually have property outside the fence. And he says, if I so much as see that you have a cow close to my fence, I'm going to shoot him. Oscar knew that Paul meant what he said, so he built a parallel fence too. Dear ones, Paul and Oscar had been dead for a lot of years. But that double fence is a monument to what stubbornness will do in your life. And stubbornness is the opposite of the spirit of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 29, Let's look at that, that, that scripture if we can together. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Doug, do we not see that scripture? Okay, well you just keep at it. it, it, it they'll be up there. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Dear ones, a meek person is not a weak person. A meek person is a strong person, a competent person, a capable person, an energetic person, but it's somebody who chooses to totally yield the right away of their life to the Holy Spirit. Totally yield the right away of their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're driving down the road and you come to a yield sign, what are you supposed to do? Yield, yield to who? Yield the right of way to oncoming traffic. And dear ones, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's looking for people that will yield the right of way of their lives. Yield the right of way of who they are. Numbers chapter 12 verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. 
Dear ones, have you ever wondered why did God use Moses in such a spectacular way? It's because Moses was humble and he was meek and he would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He was sensitive to the Spirit of God. Meekness means that you're always going to yield the right of way. Say, Jesus, in this Christmas time, as I come into this new year of 2020, Lord, I want to yield the right of way of my life to you. You see, meekness is the opposite of stubbornness. And Jesus was totally surrendered to the will of the Father. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Everybody look at me. When I was a young believer, I used to make my plans and I would say, oh, Jesus, here are my plans. Would you please bless my goals, bless my objectives, bless my plans? But one day I, I got wise and understood that instead of asking God to bless what I was thinking about and what I was planning, I needed to say, God, what are you thinking about? What are you planning? God, I know you're going to bless what is your idea. God, help me, my thoughts to be your thoughts. Help me to perceive what you were saying and what you were doing because that's where your blessing is. A stubborn Christian is simply somebody that's not surrendered to God. A stubborn Christian is somebody who, who will never be fully guided by God. Okay? So number one, if you want to have a lousy Christmas, if you want to have an unhappy New Year's, then just be a stubborn person. Now turn to somebody and say, I'm not going to be stubborn. I'm not going to be stubborn. Number two, if you want to make bad decisions at Christmas time, if you want to have an unhappy New Year's, then be selfish. Be selfish and press for your passions and demand your dreams. Say, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. Dear ones, I, I, I've discovered some things. I've discovered that 1 Timothy 1.7, this is not going to be on your screen, but let me quote this to you. 1 Timothy 1.7, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, our God is the most wise God. He is the most wise God. That means that God knows things that I don't know. God knows things that I can't see and that I can't perceive. God sees the end from the beginning. He's got wisdom that I don't have in my life. And I've learned that if I will seek the God who is the only wise God, he will impart his wisdom to me. He will even share with me some of his dreams and some of his desires. But here's what I've also learned. It's one thing to get a sense of what God wants you to do. It's another thing to understand God's timing. Because my flesh, when I get a sense of what God wants to do, man, I want to run with it. I want to go make it happen. But I've learned there's a fullness of time, Galatians 4 verse 4. And so apropos for this particular day of the year, it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. So number one, you want to perceive what God is saying to do. And Barbara, it's good to see you this morning. I didn't see you earlier. Good to see you. So number one, you want to perceive, God, what are you saying to do? But number two, you've also got to say, God, what is your timing 
in doing this thing? And God, would you sanctify my dreams? Would you sanctify my plans? I, th I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, at the age of 17, had the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, Joseph, you're destined for great things. You're going to be a ruler. God's going to use you in a wonderful way. There's only one problem. Joseph was 17. He didn't have the maturity. He didn't have the wisdom to go forth and make this thing happen. And so God had to do a sanctifying work in his life. God had to put him on the back burner over a period of 13 or, or 14 years and now, now, just think about what happened. Here's this young boy. He's been born a prince. His dad is one of the wealthiest men in the Middle East. He's got 11 brothers, and then a, a younger brother eventually was born. So he's got 10 older brothers, one younger brother. But he is daddy's favorite. He is so favored by his dad that his dad makes him a coat of many colors. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. Probably bought it in Paris. I mean, it was, it was gorgeous. And all Joseph can go around at age 17 and tell his older brothers, one day you're going to bow to me. One day you're going to bow to me. They got tired of that. And so they took him one day. They took off that coat that was so beautiful. They, they, they killed a lamb and put the blood on the coat. And they sent it back to their dad and said, Dad, I guess a wild animal must have killed Joseph. And they put him down in a pit. And then some Ishmaelite traders came along. And they sold him to those traders and they took him down to Egypt and they made him a slave and he ends up in Potiphar's household. But you know, the favor of God was upon him. Now everybody look at me. It may be that in this Christmas season, you may find yourself in a terrible situation. You may find yourself feeling like a, a prisoner, feeling like a slave. Here's what you need to do. You need to say, God, I thank you because your favor is upon my life. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because you're at work. See, the favor of God was on Joseph. And he arose through the ranks real quick and he became the head steward of the house. And then Mrs. Potiphar, who was a young lady, I'm sure she was much younger than Mr. Potiphar. And I'm sure she was beautiful and she was desirable. She cast her eyes on young, viral, strong, handsome Joseph. She said, Joseph, come on, man. We can have an affair. Nobody's going to know about it. And he says, no, I can't do this thing. And day after day, she talked to him. He says, no, I can't do this. And the Bible says that Joseph eventually had to flee from her presence. And actually, she grabbed his garment and had it in her hand. But he ran away from her presence. And dear ones, that's what we have to do. Listen, tell me, when, when temptation comes to you and it comes to me, and if it doesn't come to you, then you're, I doubt if you're really breathing. When temptation comes to you, the Bible says no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. In other words, other people experience the same things that you experience. Other preachers experience the same things that I experience. You are not the only one. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to withstand it. But he will make a way of escape for you. So many times you just have to say, Lord, I'm being tempted. Don't deny you're being tempted. Just go ahead and admit, Lord, I'm being tempted. I mean, he told us to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lord, I'm being tempted, but I ask you to deliver me from evil in Jesus' name. I thank you that you're making a way of escape. I praise you for this. Well, there was no trial. She accuses him of rape. He's put in the dungeon. He's now he's in the lowest of the lowest places in Egypt. Nobody knows him. 
His family's hundreds and hundreds of miles away. But dear ones, the favor of God was on Joseph. I want you to hear me. You may be jobless today, but you can believe God for the favor of God. You, 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 maybe things with your family are a mess, but you can believe God for the favor of God. The Bible says that when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Jesus waxed strong. He grew, the King James Version says he waxed strong in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. You just say, Lord, I thank you for your favor in my life. Hallelujah. He works his way through the ranks. He becomes the head steward down the dungeon, but nobody cares much about Joseph. And one day you'll remember that Pharaoh brought him up out of the dungeon, made him the number two man in the land. He becomes a prime minister. God uses him to save the posterity of Egypt and Israel and all the surrounding nations because of a famine. And indeed, his brothers, 10 of his brothers come down and they're trying to buy some grain and they learn that he's the head man. And here he is. He looks like an Egyptian. He's talking like an Egyptian. His brothers don't recognize him and they bow to Joseph and there's the fulfillment of that dream. Why did he have to go through those 13, 14 difficult years? It's because his soul needed seasoning. His character needed to be matured. And he needed to understand it's not about you, Joseph. It's about God. It's about serving God's purposes in your generation. Then in chapter 50, I love this chapter because in Genesis chapter 50, we got Joseph looking at his brothers. He says, what you did, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Dear ones, the old devil may attack you. It may seem like he's going to turn you every which way but loose. But if you'll take your stand and having stood, having stand and having done all to stand there for, if you'll take authority over the demon power of God and you'll tell it to be gone in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm telling you, depression will flee, despair will leave, heaviness will leave. Oh, it may not happen just like this in the, in the blink of an eye, but I'm telling you, there's authority and there's power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if you'll take your stand and having done all to stand, if you'll stand therefore, you will see victory in your life. And David forgave. I want you to hear this. He forgave the people who sold him into slavery. He forgave the people who lied to his daddy. He forgave his brothers who tried to destroy him. And that leads us to our third point this morning. If you want to make bad decisions at Christmas time, just hold on to your hurts. If you want to have an unhappy new year, Hold on to your hurts. See, there's a lot of people who get hurt in life. See, if we expected to get hurt, we could kind of get prepared for it. But the hurts usually come out of left field. It's our best friend or it's our business partner or, it, or, it's, or it's somebody in the church or somebody that we trusted or a family member. Here's the problem. And we've all got to be aware of it. Some people get hurt and they form their identity around their hurts, around their pains. They get a victim mentality and every time you get around them, they want to tell you. They want to sing a somebody done me wrong song. 
They want to sing the old hee-haw song, gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, look what he or she did to me. Dear ones, when you hold on to your hurts, let me tell you what happens. Number one, you become a reactive person instead of proactive. You become reactive. What will happen when you hold on to your hurts? There are seeds of hatred and bitterness that will start to grow in your heart. Number two, when you and I hold on to our hearts, our hurts, we become defensive Instead of being open and accepting of other people, we're guarded, we're defensive. Number three, when you hold on to your hearts, you get a distorted perspective of life. You get a distorted perception of people and circumstances in the world around you. And finally, when you hold on to your hurts, you become a demanding person. You demand your rights. You say, I've been hurt and I carry a sense of entitlement and I demand justice right here and right now. I think about Absalom. Absalom was perhaps the most handsome of David's sons. Absalom had a full sister named Tamar. They had the same mom. Now David fathered a lot of kids. And so Absalom had a lot of half-brothers and half-sisters. And his oldest brother, his name was Ammon. And Ammon developed an infatuation for his half-sister Tamar, Absalom's full sister. And that infatuation grew and grew to the point, you remember the story, Ammon rapes Tamar. And then he sends her away like nothing happened. Well, she's disgraced. Absalom is so mad. Every day he's thinking, well, dad is going to do something about this. He's going to take care of this thing. But guess what? David never, ever addresses Absalom or what he's done. Why didn't David do that? Because David, just a few years before, had taken Bathsheba to himself, and he had had an illicit sexual affair, whether it was a rape or whether Bathsheba could have joined the Me Too movement. I don't know. But I do know that it happened And David was filled with shame. Do you hear when somebody said that pain is a filler, but shame is a killer? And that shame crippled David. And instead of leading his own family, he's supposed to be leading a nation. He won't even lead his own family. And Absalom sits there and fumes and he gets angry and he gets frustrated and he finally says, I've had enough of this stuff. If dad's not going to do anything about it, I am. And you'll remember he killed Ammon and he escapes from Israel. And after several years, David brings him back home. But you know, something else happens. David never confronts Absalom about his murder of his brother. Why not? Because David, when he had his affair with Bathsheba, 
He had actually had her husband murdered and killed. And the shame of what David did was gripping his heart. Everybody look at me. We've all done things we shouldn't do. We've all been places we shouldn't be. We've all said things we shouldn't say. And we've all engaged in acts that we're ashamed of. Dear ones, don't hold on to that shame and that sense of condemnation. Take it to the cross. Jesus came that we can have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't come just to be a babe in a manger so we could sing songs and give gifts. He came so he could be our Savior. You need to take your sin and nail it to the cross. Say, Jesus, I'm ashamed. Jesus, I can't believe I did this. But Lord, I accept your forgiveness. I confess this sin to you. Help me to forgive myself. Help me not to hold myself and unforgiveness any longer I nail it to the cross and I accept your forgiveness and your freedom and in Romans 1 excuse me Romans 8 verse 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death Absalom has come back to Israel, but his daddy still won't be a father to him. So Absalom says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to chase the old man off the throne. I'm going to kill my old man and I'll become king. And you'll remember Absalom over time incited a civil war. He did indeed chase David off the throne. David and his mighty men, David and those that were close to him escaped to the wilderness. They went over the Jordan River. Escaping from Absalom, civil war erupts and hundreds and thousands of people lose their lives needlessly. Absalom himself is killed in battle. Dear ones, all that started because there is a young man who held on to his hurt. It's a sad, sad story. Hebrews 12, verse 15. I want you to read this aloud and loudly with me. Use your best voice. I want you to, I want this thing to resonate in your heart. It says, come on, read it with me. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let's try it again. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many many dear ones here's what happens we get hurt and that hurt becomes resentment and then their hurt becomes unforgiveness and then that unforgiveness becomes bitterness and bitterness is unfulfilled revenge and we go around in life and we carry this sense of bitterness because somebody has hurt us somebody has ripped us off somebody has talked bad about us somebody has stolen from us Somebody has done something they shouldn't do. And dear ones, it feels good for a season. It feels good for a season because it makes you think falsely that you are in control. You're not really in control. S.I. McMillan says, the moment I begin hating another man, I become his slave. I will never escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. Kathy's dad Calvin Wellens, as he went home to be with the Lord back in 2006. But during his lifetime, he was a very successful businessman. And he was involved in a lot of different ventures. 
He was involved with a lot of different people. And there were people that he was involved in. Sometimes they would steal from him. I remember one situation where somebody had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it was a difficult, difficult situation. And her parents used to come up to Illinois and see us. And maybe he just felt freer away from home to talk to his son-in-law. But he would say to me, he said, Terrell, he says, I, this is hard. He says, I'd like to, I'd like to get back at these people. He says, but I know the Bible tells me to forgive, but I'm having such a hard time. And I've prayed with Mr. Calvin more than one occasion. He would humble his heart. He'd get on his knees and say, Jesus, this hurts. This is painful. But I ask you to forgive me for my reaction to what's happened. And I need your grace. I need your help. And we would pray until we, you know, the old saints used to have a phrase they call praying through. That means you just don't pray about something just for a moment, but you pray and pray and you give it to God. And you transfer the load of that, that issue, whatever it is, onto the Lord. And you know what? He got victory. Hallelujah. And because he got a good attitude, I believe God blessed him financially. Oh, he didn't bless him with those people that stole from him. But you know, he blessed him in other ways. God's not limited. This is a big world. Huh. He can use, he can move heaven and earth to find people that will bless you. He moved on three wise men, three, three astrologers, 800 miles away from Israel. He moved on their heart to bless the newborn Christ child. God can move on people's heart to bless you too. But when you and I take matters in our own hand, we literally tie the hands of God I remember another occasion, there was a, another well-to-do businessman who began talking terribly about my father. My father-in-law was in local politics. He was, he was a county commissioner. And this fellow, I guess he was jealous. I don't know what happened, but he just started talking terribly about him. And it hurt my father-in-law so bad. He went to the, my father-in-law's pastor and told him some terrible things. They weren't true. Again, I, I watched as we prayed with Mr. Calvin. And he said, God, I just choose to forgive this man. He had forgiven him before he ever dealt with it. And then he went over to this man's house. What he didn't know is this man had cancer. And this man died the next month. But he went over to his house. He says, I don't know what I've done to hurt you. But I just want you to forgive me. Because I don't want to hold anything in my heart against you. And from what I'm hearing, you've got a lot in your heart against me. How many of you know that takes a big man? That takes the, the grace of God. If you want to have a lousy Christmas, you want to have an unhappy New Year, number four, and we'll close with this, and then we'll celebrate communion. And then we'll have prayers of, of Christmas blessings for all that desire. Number four, just compare yourselves with other people. If you want to really get the most out of it, compare yourself to somebody who's got more money than you do. I want you to really feel the misery, okay? If you really want to feel the misery, just compare yourself to somebody who's better off than you are. If you're a single person, 
Compare yourself to somebody that seems to be really happily married. Compare yourself to somebody whose kids seem to be perfect. Here's the truth. Appearances are not always what they seem to be. If you start, if you're single and you say, I'd like to be married, and look at that person. Their life seems to be like a Hallmark, Hallmark Christmas card. They, they're they're, they're, they're kind of like the second half of a Hallmark movie, you know? You know, the first half of those Hallmark movies, there's always tension and stress. The second half, oh, they fall in love, and it's... I got news for you. Love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. Sometimes the people who look like they got it all together, if you could just see what's going on behind closed doors, if you could just see the feuding and the fighting... I was praying early this morning, Kathy, and I began to think about when our kids were small and we would be driving to church. I don't know why on Sunday mornings our little girls would choose to lose their shoes. (laughs) On Sunday mornings, they'd begin fussing and fighting in the back seat of the car. She's on my side. Don't let her do that. Man, I'll tell you, on Sunday mornings, I have worn my arm out, going like this, (laughs) trying to get them in the back seat. There have been times I'll start getting on the girls and Kathy would think I was too harsh and so she'd just start getting on to me. And I'd start fussing with Kathy and she'd be fussing with me and we'd pull into the church parking lot and we're still just arguing. But man, you walk into church, hello, brother. (laughs) Hello, sister. How are you? I'm just telling you looks are, are deceiving. In the meadow, we can build a snowman. We can pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man. But you can do the job when you're in town. Later on, by the, we'll, walking in a winter wonderland. Walking in a winter wonderland. Look, unfortunately, life is not really like a winter wonderland. Peter had this problem with comparison. You know, in in, in John chapter 21, Peter is being restored by Jesus to ministry. Let's look at John chapter 21, verses 21 and 22. When Peter noticed him, when he noticed John, okay? Now Jesus is talking to Peter about his destiny. Peter interrupts Jesus, says when he noticed John, he asked Jesus, Master, what's gonna happen to him? What about him? Peter is comparing himself to John. And Jesus said, if I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. Dear ones, here's the point. Don't you compare yourself to anybody else. You are original. God made you. He loves you. He wants you to be you. He wants you to be the best you you can be. 
James talked about the dangers of comparison. He says, James 3.16, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil of every kind. Dear ones, if you go through life comparing yourself to others, there's always going to be somebody who seems to have it better than you do. That may or may not be true. But if you go through life comparing yourself to others, it's going to hinder your ability to hear the voice of God. It's going to hinder your ability to be happy. As your pastor, I don't have to be your pastor. I'm a pastor because I choose to be. I I don't want to get to heaven and have Jesus say to me, why weren't you obedient to me? I can tell you as your pastor, I love you. And I want the very best for you. I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be above and not beneath. I want you to reign in this life through abundance of grace and through the gift of righteousness. I want every need that you have to be met. I want you to be generous. I want you to serve God's purposes in your generation. I want the very best for you. Dear ones, as your pastor, I don't want you to compare yourself with other people. I don't want you to hold on to your hurts. I want you to give those to the Lord. Don't hold on to bitterness and anger. As your pastor, I want you to be blessed of the Most High God. And I want this to be the best Christmas you've ever, ever experienced and ever had. Let's pray, and the brothers are coming up here to play the instruments, and we're going to go into communion, but let's pray first. Lord God, in Jesus' name, God, I ask you to remove the stubbornness from me, remove the stubbornness from every single one of us, God. We don't want to be stubborn, Lord. We repent. God, we just press past our passions and our dreams and selfishness God we just want that sanctified we want every passion of our heart to be sanctified holy set apart to you God we don't want to hold on to hurts God we know that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that hurts are going to come people are going to do us wrong but Lord help us not to hold on to us help us to let them go and to bless and God help us not to compare ourselves to other people We love you, Jesus. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Lord, as we come to your table, I pray for healings and deliverances to take place. As we come to your table, Lord, I ask you to heal broken hearts. As we come to your table, I'm asking you to heal relationships. I'm asking you to speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says amen, amen. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. 
We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.